0: opposed to what they got. So listen to the text. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately. The one that had received the five talents went and traded them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, one who had received two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's uh, money. It reminds me of the people after the Great Depression. Down in South Georgia where I came from, there were a lot of banks that just closed up and people lost all their money they never trusted banks again and you could go all over the community and talk to people about where they were banking where did they what bank did they go to to get checks to write checks and they say oh we don't go to the banks anymore there were wicked bankers and they got all of our money Or at least they lost all of our money. So there was a fear. There are people in life that are like that with God. They think God is an unfair person an unfair God. And so they don't risk with God. We'll talk more about that. He says, now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master... You entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more talents. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the uh, joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said, you wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on arrival I would have uh, received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him, give it to the one who has the ten talents, for to everyone who has, has shall more be given, and, and he shall have abundance, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away, and cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth." Most commentaries you read about this passage of Scripture say that this is one of the most complicated parables that there is. and after reading and listening to a number of sermons on this passage of Scripture, it's amazing to me what interpretations they have, uh, some of which I'm thinking, how did they come up with that? But that's just natural and normal uh, for people who do what we do in preaching the gospel. But the the fact of the matter is really this, this issue is about how prepared are you for the return of jesus in light of the return what are you doing with whatever it is that he's given you responsibility for because everybody saved or lost has an accountability ultimately to god you say why is that because he created you you don't you don't exist for nothing YOU EXIST BECAUSE THE ONE WHO CREATED YOU KNEW THE PLAN THAT HE WOULD HAVE FOR YOU. PLANS WERE TO BLESS you. YOU. YOU JUST NEED TO KNOW THAT TODAY. GOD CREATED YOU TO BLESS YOU NOT ONLY IN TIME, BUT HE CREATED YOU TO BLESS YOU IN ETERNITY. That's the reason the gospel is so incredibly good, because it has a plan for you now, but it has a plan for you after this life is over with for you. I mean, I'm, I'm about to turn 70 years old, been in the ministry for 45 years, and I don't know how much time I've got left, but I'm trying to make the most of that time, however long it might be. Because I know that after time there's going to be eternity, and I read in the Scripture with excitement about the return of the Lord. It's it's an exciting thing to think about. Well, it's interesting that two of these guys represent people who look forward to their Master returning. They look forward to it. I mean, they, they, would, uh, they, would, they would say, like, like John, I think it was, who said, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Not everybody says that. Not everybody thinks that. Not everybody wants that. And most of us who would not want it, would not want it because we aren't ready for it. We, we don't want to see Him not like this not with this attitude that i have i want to have a better attitude i've i've gone to pastor two churches and uh in, in recent years i've actually served in three churches in the last uh i guess it's probably 35 years uh, i've served in three churches since 1990 till now I, i've been serving in, in three different churches one as a missions pastor the other two as a senior pastor and i've served six churches altogether. In those churches that I've served in, I have always found people who were so uh, uh, afraid, I guess, or so unsecure in their uh, church's life that they they would just hold on to things. I went to the church that Clint's a pastor of, and uh, when I got there, the the church was in debt. They had a uh, like a $310,000 debt. They had been paying on that debt, which was $340,000 when I got there. They had been paying on that for, for the last eight years and had paid it down $30,000 in principal. It was during the Jimmy Carter days, and so interest was extremely high, and they couldn't pay the debt. But somebody along the way had given to the church A $100,000 CD. They put it in the bank. It was to be there for the church to use whenever it would need to use it. But instead of using that, they held it for security. The security issue was not defaulting on the debt. When I got there and saw that, I realized that the church was sinning against God. And here's how they were sinning. They were trusting the CD versus God. And so, you know, when you're new to the congregation and you see those kind of things, you ask the question, can I risk bringing this up? And I did. I took the risk. And here's what I said to them. I met with the deacons, and the deacons was the channel that you went through at that church. It's a deacon, the deacon way it is in most Southern Baptist churches, but like it or not, that's just the way it is. And, and, and so I met with them one day. I said, guys, i got, I got something I need to talk to you about. I said, I, I hear everybody talk about this CD. And the only reason you have it, it's so at the end of the year, when you have to pay the interest on this note, if you don't have the money the cd becomes the solution you've never used any of it yet for that cd but you still got it i said do you see what you are really doing you're, you're perceived as being wise <laughs> but that's the human perspective god would never see you as being wise because you can't do ANYTHING by way of missions. I said, you're trusting the CD instead of God. I feel like God has asked me to ask you to cash the CD, pay it on the note, you've eliminated $100,000, you probably could reduce the interest on the note and and begin to move forward it maybe it wouldn't be long before we would have enough money to pay more down on that that note and and the next thing you know we could do missions i had no clue that right around the corner god was going to put me in a situation where i'm going to find a place that needs a church plant and i knew nothing about church planting it was at crescent beach florida we were on vacation, and I get there and, and on this vacation, and, and, and we finish up the vacation. We decide to go to church on the beach down there somewhere uh, where there was a, some, a few churches. And so I told Gwen, I said, I really don't want to go to this one church. It's mostly senior adults. Let's see if we can't find a younger congregation. We were in our 40s then, early 40s. And so we start riding down the beach, A1A. We rode for 17 miles. I did not see one church that I would be willing to attend. There were all kinds of cultic groups. Uh, groups that uh, did not preach the, the true gospel. And, and, and I, I, I'm riding along. I said, to my, I said to Gwen, I said, Gwen, this is a sin. She said, what do you mean? I said, we've gone by all these buildings that are called churches. And they don't preach the gospel. She said, well. So, what are you going to do about it? And I said, we we need to start a church over here. She said, how do you do that? I said, I don't have a clue. I've never started a church. All I've ever done is revitalize churches. That's what I've done for 45 years is revitalize churches until I came to realize if you start churches, they'll do better And live longer than the churches that are out there dwindling, 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 dwindling because people move from trusting God to trusting other things. And so I went back to the church, asked the church deacons again, what about us starting this church? Here's the first question I got What's in it for us? see that's a that's how it is in most churches it's about what do we get out of it that was what was wrong with the third guy in this picture he was not interested in what he could give in 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 response to the giving of god he was all into what can i get out of it and all he could come up with is i've just got to make sure we don't lose anything and so he held on. The others looked at the whole same situation and said, let's give it into missions and ministry and whatever it was that they did with that money. It's a parable, of course. So it's a story laid alongside a question. How do you prepare for the Lord's return? And so we cashed the CD gave it paid a hundred thousand dollars on the debt reduced the interest from from 15 percent interest down to 11 percent interest sometime later it we redu- reduce it again and then any extra money we had at the end of the month we put it into a fund to pay that debt off in two and a half years all of that debt was gone and it laid wide open the opportunity to st- start supporting churches and so the first church we took on to support we just i just told them, i said "Men, we ought to at least give two percent of our budget to support these these church plants this this church plan we started that church that church is running six or seven hundred people today uh it's never started another church by the way it just started itself got started and and then it just What's about getting bigger. I want you to know, God's about growing His kingdom, not just growing His church. He wants the kingdom to expand. He wants it to mushroom. And when the goal is not an addition growth, it's a multiplication growth. It's kind of like growing a church. The more small groups you got, the more people you've got involved in leadership and the next thing you know your church is so big you have got to get someone in another building somewhere or or do something send a bunch of them out to start a church you see the goal is not how many you can gather it's how many you can scatter to get the gospel message out and so that's what happened and that church got started and then some months i got a call from the convention the convention was saying to me uh brother the guy at the convention said brother danny would you be interested Uh, Your church might be in starting another church. We've got some financial aid that we could help you with a little bit there. And I'm thinking, oh, good gracious, uh, I'm going to have to come back to these deacons again. What are they going to say? How is it going to go? Immediately. They had seen what God had done in that six months. They immediately said, why don't we give 3% to this work? Next thing you know, that church is up and going and starting churches. Uh, it, it's just been amazing how that process has gone. But, but, but here's what I want you to know. Today, that second church of a hundred people, where at one time was a thousand people, will close its doors. And those folks will scatter into other churches All over the place. What happens? What happens is what happened to this man. This third man. He gets the wrong perspective. He gets to thinking like he shouldn't think. And God's wanting him to think it in a different way. You know why? Because God wants there to be joy at the finish. Don't you want to have joy when you see Jesus? Don't you want to look, look, at, look for, forward to His coming with an anticipation as, a, as opposed to a fear? Well, in this passage it talk, talks about that, uh, that the primary pers- purpose of this is to build on this, why do we exist? Why are we here? It's imperative that we embrace our role clearly, and, and, it, and it's evidence in the text that we are stewards and not owners. Of what God has entrusted to us. I mean think about all the things. God's entrusted to you. He's entrusted you with time. He's entrusted you with talent. In this case. The focus is. He's entrusted you with talents. Five talents. You know how much a talent is. A talent of silver. Is somewhere around 1.3 million dollars. According to what time frame you're looking at is to win but today it would be about 1.3 million dollars if it's upward of 2 million dollars so here this guy God gives him that much money when he comes back there's twice as much the second guy the same way because when they looked at the giver and 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 thinking he's my master he owns it all I don't own anything I don't even own me I'm owned by him And so if he's going to give it to me to to use it, I need to use it in a way that if he were here, he would use it that way himself. You know, that's how I determine what I need to do about giving in anything I give in. What would Jesus do if he did it? What What if he was here, and he's faced with the same situation that I'm faced with, what would he do? I have a hard time having a Clint call me and saying, we're thinking about starting five new churches without immediately thinking, if God's impressed Clint or, or Brian, they feel like, Colby, whoever's involved in this process, if, he, if, if, God, if God has led them to start these churches, how could I not help? You know what God did for us? After this church had the same $100,000 CD, the church at Palatka, Florida, Pinal Baptist Church had $100,000. When I got to this church, it had $100,000. I don't know what it is about $100,000 CD. It's like, that is a treasure trove, and you've got to guard that treasure trove. You don't mess with that treasure trove. I did the same thing with them as I did before. They cashed it in. They cashed it in and began to use it. They used it to add some buildings. We didn't have space to hold the people, so we built a building. Next thing you know, we've got Clint calling, <laughs> saying, I'm starting a church up in Virginia. And, and so we said, okay. So about that time in 2000, I want to think it was 2008 or 9. there was a man died in our church. I knew he was a fairly wealthy man. But I didn't know how wealthy he was, but he was wealthy enough that he left us $5 million. Now listen, folks, that sounds like, whoo, man, that's wonderful. Have you ever tried to pastor $5 million with deacons? It is not fun. Now it's opportunity, great opportunity, but it's not fun because they... When they they got this money, it's like, oh, what are are we supposed to do with that? And they were so afraid they'd do the wrong thing that they didn't want to do anything. It'd be kind of like this man that got the five talents. That five talents, that's a chunk of change. And he's got to decide, what do I do? But he made the right decision. I'm going to invest it. In that day, I don't have a clue how they invested. He might have bought a farm. It was an agrarian society. They didn't have a stock market in that day, so he wasn't going to invest in stock. there, There probably weren't banks where he could invest the money. But what he did do is he began to invest it. He might have bought a farm. He might have bought some cows. He might have bought whatever he might have done. But by the time the master comes back, he's got twice that much. That man gave five thousand five million dollars. A few weeks into that, i'm I'm mulling over this. How do I pastor these people with that money? Because everybody in the church had an opinion about what ought and ought not be done with that money. And so, after days of praying, This is what I was impressed to ask the church to do. I looked at the scripture where it talks about minimal giving for for Christians ought to be 10%. Not 90%, but 10%. And so I took that principle that you have in the book of Malachi and in other places and I said um, to them, I said, men. Don't you think that if God were to give an individual that kind of money, and they were a good steward of that money, they'd give right off the top at least that percentage, 10%. It got just quiet, just like this. (laughs) But they agreed to it. It was evident that they were agreeing because they thought it was right, but they weren't agreeing because they felt like they wanted to do it. They had fear. That's natural to have fear, isn't it? We all have fears. Kind of like getting married. I'll never forget getting married. I'm standing right there in front of the preacher and he's fixing to say in sickness or in health and poverty or in wealth, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, I, yeah, I think so. I believe I, I believe I will. Believe I can. I'll, I'm committed to it. I'm. I, but you know, you're wondering how it's going to turn out. Year or two into marriage. I'm, when it said to me, I, I'm i might just go home to my mama. And after enough times of that, it's like maybe you ought to. You know, I didn't say it. <laughs> didn't say it. <laughs> but you know, there's some fear in that. You know, marriage, those early days of marriage, for those of you who are thinking about it, just understand the first year or two, you got to work really hard. So I said, we need to do it. So we gave $500,000. In about six months, the stock market crashed that in six months took 400 more thousand so we've already eliminated a million dollars and i said to them folks there's churches out there that are trying to start and we need to help them and i said we ought not (laughs) i didn't know any better then we ought not to give any less than twenty thousand dollars per church So we got up to about 10 churches at $20,000 apiece. You can do the math. Per year, <coughs> the next thing you know, the stock market turns back around. We not only got the $400,000 back, <laughs> but we got the $500,000 back. And we got more than he left us to start with. Why does that happen? Because God loves to show out. God loves to prove what a mighty God He is and how much He cares about those willing to obey Him. Does that happen for everybody? No. Sometimes He lets you linger longer. Sometimes He lets you wait longer. That's neither here nor there. What if He let you wait until the final day when He returns? It's still worth it. Here's what he says. And I love this. This is just fun to me to read this. He says, enter in to the joy of your master. <laughs> in other words, one of the good things about following Jesus is He looks forward to the day of the finished day when He's coming back. He looks forward to enjoy watching you when He gives you that blessing that's going to last forever. Eternal blessing. You see, the owner knows the potential that you have. The owner knows the potential of every church. The church doesn't know its potential until God speaks to them, tells them how he wants them to respond. If they respond, they will get to see things from God that they never knew about before. Doesn't he say that? He will show you great and mighty things that you knew not of. God wants to do that here at Pillar Dumfries and Pillar Jacks and Pillar, everywhere there's a Pillar church. He wants to do that. But the reason He wants to do it is because He wants you to finish well. I want you to finish well and in heaven when you get there you'll have more work to do than you've ever had but you won't get tired doing it <laughs> you won't get frustrated at deacons because they won't be deacons there <laughs> You <know? laughs> I could tell you some stories now I've got some uh, they, some of them are fun some of them aren't aren't even funny but but he wants you to enjoy him forever he wants you to enjoy your heavenly work forever and according to how he's blessed you and how you've responded will determine the end result don't you want to be ready don't you want to anticipate you see the owner has every right To hold accountable every steward for his faithfulness or lack thereof. He has every right. Why? He created you. He saved you. He has a plan for you. When Jesus returns, some will experience joy and abundance and and celebration, while others experience sorrow and agony. So how do you want to wait for Jesus? You want to wait for Jesus as a slave commissioned to improving the master's assets? I do. I want to wait faithfully no matter whether he's entrusted me with a lot or a little. I want, I want to wait presupposing that there will be a reward. There'll be a reward. And the reward probably has to have to do with the, the church that I pastor or, or, or the family that I steward or, or whatever projects or opportunities he lays before me. I, I want to wait actively, not passively. I want to wait. Acting like the master would want me to wait because I love him. You know what? When that man left us five million dollars, I didn't know what to think really but what my first thought was this man never had a family he worked all of his life saving for the finish and I thought what if he had invested that in the kingdom while he was going You think God might have made more out of it on the journey to the finish if he had used it that way? But it didn't matter. What I was really grateful for is that God looked at our church with anticipation of the finish and said, I'm going to give you a chance to have a grand reunion when it's all over. Down south, we're known for family reunions. (laughs) And at the family reunions we used to have, they would take sawhorses and put them out about eight feet apart and then they would make these um, kind of plywood t- tabletops with a board running down each side and they would lay those on top of the two by fours and then they would add another one and another one and it would be probably 30 or 40 yards long people from all over the place would invite families from afar they'd gather up and you could see them driving up getting out of their cars and running to greet the family can you imagine what it's going to be like on gathering up day an incredible time but the one we're really going to want to see i don't think will be mama or daddy brother or sister i think it'll be the one who entrusted the privilege to us of being in the family and being faithful in the family. I hope when you walk out of here today that you won't be able to get this out of your mind. I'm headed to the finish. I'm going to meet the master. And I want him delighting to see me i never want to hear words like you wicked lazy steward let's give him the chance to celebrate our reunion father your word is powerful Your word is convicting. Your word is sharp and alive. And in your word, we can be so encouraged. I pray that this message today has been a truly encouraging word for the saints of God. And I pray that we would all live with Just reckless abandon to not hold back anything from you, but to give you our very best, anticipating that glorious day when we see you.